Welcome in to Daily Faceoff Live, your go-to source for everything hockey, live every weekday at noon Eastern. What's up, everybody? Welcome in to Daily Faceoff Live. It's Friday, October 7th. Happy Friday. Happy technically opening day of the season with the Sharks and Preds dropping the puck in Prague in just a few short hours or minutes. Welcome in to Matt Larkin for the first time this season on Daily Faceoff Live. How you doing, Matt? I'm good. I'm excited to come in on a Friday. I feel like I'm shot out of a cannon, Frank, and I even have a little hair swirl to match yours. That's team spirit right there. Yeah. Yeah, that's a lot of tidal wave going on in, in uh, one show. So let's throw two minutes and 30 seconds up on the clock and let's drop the puck with this. We're through our season previews, our division by division previews, I guess I should say, with uh, all four divisions being tackled in the first four days this week. But that leaves us a few key storylines that we have not talked about yet. And when you go through your list of things that could happen or things that we should keep an eye on this season, what stands out to you? Yeah, there's one in particular, Frank. I tend to be a bit of a preseason snob. I'm not a big fan of it. I wish it didn't exist, and I don't put stock into every storyline. But I am looking closely at Jack Eichel in Vegas, eight points in three games. That's tied with Marco Rossi for the scoring lead in the preseason. And to me, it's important because it tells us Jack Eichel is healthy. And I did talk to him at the Player Media Tour last month, and he did say, you know, with every game that passed after his disc replacement surgery, he felt a little bit more like himself. But now we're seeing him dominate in the preseason. And I'm wondering if there's a sort of sleeper season coming from Jack Eichel. This is a guy that was on a 94-point pace in his last healthy season. He's only 25 years old. So there's still superstar potential there in Jack Eichel. I think that's the thing that stands out with me about Jack Eichel. And we actually talked about this on the DFO rundown today that will drop later. It's our Pacific Division preview there. And we'll have Jonathan Huberto on. Um, I asked the question to Jason Greger, is Jack Eichel overrated? I mean, we think of Jack Eichel as a sniper. His career high in goals, Matt, 36 to this point. He's struggled at varying points to stay healthy. And frankly, the Vegas Golden Knights are going to need a 94-point season out of Jack Eichel. He's accounting for that much of their salary cap at $10 bucks, And his acquisition in some ways has forced the departure of others, including someone like a Max Pacioretty this offseason, a guy who averaged 37 goals a year in his four years in Vegas, won more than Eichel's career high. He's gone for nothing. And that's actually another storyline that I'd like to watch as the season goes on. How do the Golden Knights do in general? What, what kind of chaos might erupt there? Uh, because it seems like it's always lurking around the corner. Not only that, but there's real pressure, I think, from an organizational standpoint, even with a first-year head coach in Bruce Cassidy, to get back into the playoffs. If they're not making the playoffs this year, heads will be rolling, period, full stop. Agree or disagree? I do agree, and we know that's the precedent this franchise has set. And even Mark Stone said that to us when I asked him, how do you navigate your troops through this constant change? And he says, this is the way we like it. It's a high standard. And I do think there's pressure on Jack Eichel for sure. But as Stone put it to me last month, there's not the same pressure that there was in Buffalo when he was the only guy. He came in last year. Everyone was hurt. There was a lot of pressure on Jack Eichel last year. Now there's a relatively healthy lineup. He has a bit more support. I'm excited to see what he can do.
Yeah, I'm excited too. And some say that pressure only exists in air tires or in uh, in tires in general. So uh, we'll see. That was one of the big buzzword buzz quotes this week uh, in the Major League Baseball world. Let's uh, let's talk awards because uh, you and I are awards voters, and it's always interesting to see sort of who might be on our preseason radar. It's always hard to make a pick, and you try and go a little bit outside the box. Uh, we'll start with the Hart Trophy. You know, it, the chalk is, of course, Connor McDavid. And you think back to last season and and just the postseason that he had, it's hard not to think that he would, you know, pick up right where he left off. Austin Matthews, the 2022 Hart winner. And yet Connor McDavid set a career high in goals and points and did not win the Hart. I don't know if that's because there was a sort of 20-game swoon. There was an infatuation um in terms of austin matthews and getting to that 60 goal mark or is it just voter fatigue who you got for the heart this year yeah i think last year with matthews also i think the defensive play was the sort of under the radar thing that came into play but i do think mcdavid is the favorite the pendulum tends to swing back and forth and i think the narrative is going to go back toward best player because that amazing playoff run it is in voters minds this is a subjective award so of course he's the favorite but i'm looking closely as i know you are too frank at kirill kaprizov Minnesota Wild. This is a superstar who is capable. He did it last year of putting up more than 100 points, but he also sort of checks the block. If you're if you're an award purist, if you like the definition most valuable to his team, you can make a case that Kaprizov has a lot less support in Minnesota. He carries that team. He drives the play. So that's sort of a hybrid to me. He is a superstar. He's going to be near the top of the league scoring chart, but he's also going to be very valuable if you are a purist. Well, yeah, if you're a purist, I mean, it's hard to argue given the talent that surrounds some of these other guys, including Matthews with Marner and McDavid with Dreisaitl, that Kaprizov has to do more with less. And so by definition, you know, frankly, you could include some goalies in this category every year because goalies are so valuable to team success. They hardly ever make the cut because of that. But in this case with Kaprizov, he's asked to do so much that when you see someone put up a 108-point season, nearly touch 50 goals, and not have that kind of help around him, he may be literally the most valuable player in the league. And that's what I always wrestle with as a voter, right? It's so true. And to me, if we're looking at someone that has a similar profile, and I think it's going to be similar, it's Jack Hughes and the New Jersey Devils, because he is going to be someone, we've talked about it, he could break through and be a 100-point scorer, but also the Devils are going to go as he goes. If they break through and they're a playoff team, we could see something similar to Taylor Hall in 2017-18, in which one guy is sort of willing a team to get there. And I know that there's some support, the Devils are getting better, they're improving around Hughes, but this is his team. If they go all the way, finally get back to the playoffs this year, it's going to be because he has a monster season, and that will make him a Hart Trophy candidate. It would be a big jump for the Devils to get back into the playoffs, given the points that they'd have to close from last season. One of my bold predictions was that Jack Hughes will get to the 100-point mark, but maybe it's really not that bold. If you take out the time that he missed due to injury and you look just purely on pace, he was at 93 points last season. So uh, certainly a huge step forward for Jack Hughes and, and earning that contract, which kicks in this year, eight times eight equals 64 million bucks. We have our awards voting predictions from our entire staff at Daily Faceoff going up on dailyfaceoff.com shortly. We'll give you a sneak peek. And Matt, as you take a look at some of these awards, whether it's the Vezina or there's really you know, no question in terms of the Norris when you look at Kale McCarr uh, being projected to win by all eight guys that uh, that put together their projections. Which one was the toughest for you? Which one did you have the hardest time with? 
For me, it was by far the Calder Trophy. It's a unique year because we're coming off a draft class in which we did not have a slam dunk, mega prospect right to the NHL. Even Yaraf Slavkovsky, it's still coming down to the wire. We don't know 100% he's going to be sticking with that team. Shane Wright looks like the one guy that is because he's got that two-way game. But when you have a draft class like that, it becomes a real blender when you're looking at the Calder candidates because you're drawing from previous draft classes as well. So it's going to be a wide open competition. I do think, of course, Matty Beniers is the favorite because he's sort of locked into a major role in Seattle. But I'm looking closely at Marco Rossi. It is a sleeper pick because we know he's starting fourth at center on that depth chart, maybe power play too. But if we're betting on the talent, I think before long, he's playing with maybe Matt Boldy on the second line, maybe even Kaprizov on the first line. And we're going to see magic there. I'm a believer. But overall, I think you see a lot of variance on that award because it's such a large melting pot in terms of different draft classes colliding with each other this year. And you could have a defenseman that maybe steps up and Owen Power go down the list. There's a few guys that are out there that could really make a dent and make it interesting in this year's Calder, which is wide open. For me, it was Vezina. And part of that is just due to the difficult nature of the position to predict because it seems like one year you're up, the next year you're down. It's all over the place. There's really only five goalies maybe that you can say uh, confidently that you know pretty much exactly what you're going to get out of them season after season. And those are the guys that are always in the mix. Wouldn't surprise anyone to see if Shesterkin repeated or if Vasilevsky was there or Demko was in the mix. Any one of those guys, even Markstrom before he wilted in the playoffs last year, had such an incredible regular season with all those shutouts and yet didn't even really warrant a ton of consideration when it came to the Vezina. So Sorokin's out there this year on Long Island. He finished, I think, fifth last year. That to me is, is also wide open. There's so much talent in net, um, but it, it comes down to so many factors, including the team that plays in front of you. It's true. And the latter, I think, is really important because, as we know, the Vezina Trophy is voted on by the league's GMs, not us. And there is a tendency historically to weigh wins very heavily in that vote. So if you're sort of trying to make a Vezina vote, you're not just voting on the goaltender or predicting on the trophy. You're not just thinking goaltender, you're thinking the team around him. So if you're all in on Sorokin, it means you have to be all in on the Islanders being competitive again, getting back to the playoffs and inflating that win total. Because we know the GMs, they're looking at that W column every time they vote on the Vezina. Yeah, so it's not just uh, Sorokin that's in that category as well. It's Thatcher Demko. He Demkoed a lot of teams last year as the season went on after their coaching change and very well could be in that same Vezina-type conversation this year if he can drag the Vancouver Canucks back into the Stanley Cup playoffs. Matt, uh, we have uh, part two of our nine-part series on dailyfaceoff.com going shortly, the archetype rankings. And today up is the clutch players. And for me, Matt, this is the toughest one to actually come up with a name. What the heck is a clutch player? Well, in this case, uh, it's a general pain in the ass to play against the team's elite central processing unit who is key in pressure situations and creates pressure all over the ice. Basically, Someone that you want to have the puck on their stick at all times of the game. Uh, certainly reliable, consistent. And uh, I think the one thing with this catch-all is we try and break down, Matt, all the different players in the league into different classification categories, is that this clutch, you could call it pressure, you could call it brain, you could call it a lot of different things in terms of what this player means to your team. They're elite players, but they're not necessarily elite in any one category, meaning they do so many things really well. So what you end up seeing a lot of players in this clutch category is 
the Selkie winners, the centers, uh, some of the top two-way players in the league. So when you kind of add all that up, does that make sense to you? And if I gave you that definition, could you rattle off, you know, five players that immediately come to mind? For sure. I love this category. I love this series. And I'm assuming before I see the list here, uh, that there's going to be some Con Smythe Trophy winners on the list as well. So I'm thinking like someone along the lines of Ryan O'Reilly, the St. Louis Blues, someone who isn't necessarily the greatest talent on the ice at all given times, but is so good at every little thing, does everything at a B plus or A minus level, and is trustworthy in all situations, whether it's empty net, killing a penalty, power play, whatever it is. That would be my guess. But I'm curious for you when we get to see the list, who was the biggest surprise? That's what I want to know. Is there someone on the list that no one sees coming? Yeah, so we'll throw up a graphic that just has a few of the guys on there. You'll have to go to dailyfaceoff.com to see the full list. But you, you hit it right on the head. O'Reilly, Bergeron, Kopitar, um, Dano, Lindholm. You know, that, that selection of players, that sort of crop of players um, that sort of get to that rarefied air in terms of the elite two-way ability. They all kind of, interestingly enough, as I poured through the data, which was powered by Stathletes, they all... Um, are generally kind of in the same range in terms of point production and goal production, which I found interesting. There's, of course, some statistical outliers uh, like a Lindholm getting to 80 points, but all sort of in that Bergeron 50 to 60 range, um, which I thought was, was curious. And you asked me for a player that surprised. As I poured through the data, one guy that I was not expecting to see at all was Nick Paul from the Tampa Bay Lightning. Now, what's interesting is two things. One, you see the contract that Paul got this offseason, seven times 3.15, a huge deal. And then you take a look at some of these rankings that I help best to find uh, this collection of players. D-zone puck recoveries, sixth in the entire league. O-zone dump-in recoveries, 10th. Loose puck recoveries, 27th. The other interesting part is we know that Tampa really values not just data, but also archetypes in general as they're building out their team. So no real shock that you see their GM, Julian Brisebois, valuing something like this as part of his team, willing enough to give a guy like Nick Paul a seven-year deal on a cap-strap team, perhaps lowering that AAV a bit, but making sure that you have a player like that on your team necessary to win. So Nick Paul was not expecting him to be in our top 20 clutch players in the league, but uh, he certainly fits that category. Interestingly enough, along with a couple other players on the Tampa Bay Lightning, including Anthony Sorelli and Braden Point. Yeah, I love it. And to me, it's the marriage, the long-awaited marriage between the eye test and analytics, because analytics are getting so advanced now that they're actually quantifying things that we can see with our eyes. And if you watched Nick Paul throughout the playoffs last year, you saw him winning battles over and over. Absolute beast every time I saw him out there. I'm actually not surprised to see him make the list based on what my eyes told me. Yeah, and sometimes the data also illuminates something that you kind of thought was there, but then it sort of crystallizes it for you, which has been the interesting part of the process for me. Let's get to our All 32 this week, and let's welcome in Boomer. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. 
With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Every year, one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts of up to 89% off USPS and UPS services, so your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. It's like your own personal post office. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Pleased to welcome Dean Boomer Molberg, who is now joining the Daily Faceoff and Nation Network family with Barn Burner on Flames Nation, which debuts next week. This is our All 32 segment delivered by DoorDash. Dean is going to help us walk through some Calgary Flames questions uh, based in Calgary, that new show launching next week. And so, Dean, we're thrilled to have you part of the team. And, and let me throw this at you before you get going. Uh, you know, who is the clutch player of the Dean Boomer Molberg bar- Barnburner team? Is it you or is it, uh, is it uh, Pinder, Rhett? Who, who is it? Well, I was going to say it might be you, Frank. Are you, do you want to take some uh, some credit or do you even, I mean, because this whole thing, you you had a hand in all of this kind of happening. So I think maybe you're, you have that clutch gene out of the whole group. Yeah, I don't think that's possible. We're uh, we're thrilled to see you guys launch and uh, really glad, as I said, to have you part of the team. I joined you guys every week last year on Sportsnet and now excited to uh, to do the same uh, this season coming up and talk uh, Flames and NHL with you guys every week. You can catch uh, Barnburner every day, Monday to Friday, 1030 to noon Mountain Time. And uh, Dean, let's dive into the Calgary Flames. Um, what a change this summer. Uh, what an off season for Brad Tree Living. My question for you is, when you consider the additions of Huberto, Mackenzie Wegar, and Nazem Kadri, putting aside the point totals for one second, which addition do you think is going to be the most impactful for the Flames? It's hard to look at the first two and say that it's going to be Kadri. But I just feel like when that... because. It was, it was one of those things that was in the mix for a while. Kadri had some offers, what, July 13th, whatever it ended up being, let's say July 1. But he had some offers on day one of free agency, and then as the money started to go away, so did the suitors. And the Flames were in there on day one. Numbers change as time passes, and fewer teams are in the mix. And the number that they ended up settling on, I think, was in it was on the table for both sides for quite some time. And for Treliving, he had to decide... Do I want that kind of term? Do I want that much money? And I'm going to have to make a secondary deal 
with Sean Monahan to move out some money and that's going to cost. So it was cost on top of cost, but they just love the player. They love the fit, the coach, the player, the GM, the team, the style, everything was just such a perfect fit. And is the deal too long? It probably is. You, you, you don't like any of these deals in the last year or two as they go. But right now, as we sit here on the start of 2022-23, the, the Flames have probably the best center depth that they've had in my time here. It's been 15 years to have Backlund now as your third-line center. You always felt like if you ever had Michael Backlund in a third-line center spot, you were in such good shape. And then Kadri and then Lindholm. Down the middle, it looks as good as they've had here in a long time. But just that extra, that spit and vinegar in his game that he's got. Sutter loves him. The GM loves him. And uh, I was at the game the other night. It's preseason hockey. But you wouldn't have known it by watching Nazem Kadri on the ice. He just doesn't know any other way. He goes, it's compete, it's dig, it's grind the entire game. So I can't wait to watch him for 82 here in Calgary because I think he's just a perfect fit. Now, Huberto's tremendous and Uyghur has opened a lot of eyes here. And I know they're working hard to get him signed. But Nazem Kadri is going to be, I think, the straw that stirs the drink. That kind of shift disturbing that they maybe lost in Matthew Kachuk, they gained at least as much, maybe more, in Nazem Kadri. Dean, I wanted to ask you about Jacob Markstrom. Obviously, I had a tremendous season last year, led the league in shutouts, uh, but he also started a career-high 63 games, and you can make a case the wheels fell off in round two. I do think he was the reason Calgary lost that series to Edmonton. It was probably closer than Calgary got credit for, but the goaltending disappeared. So I'm wondering... Do you think there's going to be some load management this year with Markstrom maybe giving an extra five or ten starts to Dan Blatter? You would think so because on you have recent history to to lean back on now. It was really kind of it, it was COVID and all of that, but but I agree with you, and I would never have guessed even after watching round one against Dallas, he was tremendous and had to be to beat the Stars in that series. I would not have guessed that he would have faltered the way he did in round two. I think that he's got a bit of a chip on his shoulder, something to prove. But going through that schedule last year, you could always build a case as to why he should start. He was either coming off of a very good start or there was something in his game you wanted to round back into form. And Daryl always has ridden veteran goalies. You go back to L.A. with Jonathan Quick. Quick played so many games. But I do wonder if maybe there was a lesson learned last year for both player and coach. Now, the other day, Markstrom said, I'd like to play more games. I mean, that's media speak, I think. But... The secondary to that is Vladar has been very good. He was very good last year. He's been very good in this preseason for what it's worth. But if Vladar can get some starts and and play well, not that he has to earn Daryl Sutter's trust, but Daryl Sutter has never liked backup goalies. I remember going back to when his, his first tour of duty here as head coach and Jamie McLennan was the backup. They were not throwaway games just because the backup was going in. You better get in, you better be ready, and you better win. We only call on you once every two or three weeks. It was a tough spot for a backup goalie, but it, the case was the, it was just the case that you didn't play, and if, if you didn't play well and you didn't win, you weren't going to get back in for a long time, or there might be somebody else coming in to take your spot. So I think they have to look at it. Two years ago, Markstrom got hurt partway through the season. Last year with COVID, and there were some stretches there. He had some time off, but it's still... Whether it was the Oilers flu or whatever it was in the playoffs, he just was not himself. I don't think they have a choice. But again, it's Daryl Sutter's team, and he loves veterans, and he loves his number one goalies. So we'll have to see. But I think Vladar has proven through last year and through the start of this year already that he's capable and probably deserving of more games.
Yeah, Boomer, the Oilers, for whatever reason, have been Markstrom's kryptonite in his career, not just last season in the playoffs. So uh, interesting to watch and see how that develops quickly. Uh, I want to ask you the question that everyone in Calgary has been asking all summer after these acquisitions. Are the Flames better, worse, or the same? I'll tell you what, for the people that, it was a lot of hand-wringing about the core. We heard it all the time. They got to shake up the core. What are they going to do with the core? Well, the core is shook. Whether and not to say everybody was to blame or it was even any of it was to blame, but Giordano, Monahan, Gaudreau, Kachuk, it's gone. This is a completely new look team. I just think naturally it's going to take some time for it to come together. I know that there's been a lot of people, I know different models that that guys use to to project. A lot of people see the Flames doing very well this year. I th I th I don't see them taking a backward step. I think it's going to be a bit of a different team. There were a lot of high scoring games last year. They their goals for were really high. I don't know if that's going to be the case. I think it's going to be a bit of a different look. But I think the win totals will be where they were a year ago, maybe a smidge better. I think this is a good team. They, they're looking to add. I think they want a little bit more in their top nine. Sonny Milano came in, maybe some hope there that he was going to be able to make an impact. He really didn't. Cody Eakin was a depth guy. PTO, he was released. But I think they have some... An abundance of guys in the back end, an extra body or two on the blue line. They're worth their weight in gold as soon as you get an injury or two. I just wonder if you get into the start of the season and if Brad Living isn't looking to maybe get a little bit deeper up front. They feel good in net. They feel good on the back end. I think they want to get Uyghur signed here in the next week or so, ideally. And they're set on the blue line. So if they can get just a little bit more up front, it does have a feel, kind of like a like a win-now win now thing. You, you go... Yep, full term on on uh, on Huberdo, and you bring in Cadre. You're you're basically all in. You pushed your chips in. So to go out and maybe spend another draft pick or find another forward, I wouldn't be surprised if in the first six weeks of the season or so you you see another guy come in here to help bolster those forwards. Yeah, my bold prediction, Boomer. Maybe they're not quite as good in the regular season, but with this core and this group, they're maybe better suited for playoff success. We'll see how it all plays out. You can check out Barnburner on FlamesNation.ca and YouTube starting next week, 10:30 a.m. to noon Mountain Time with Boomer Pinder and Rhett Warner. We're looking forward to it. Can't wait. So glad to have you part of the family, and so glad you could join us for all 32 to talk Calgary Flames. Brought to you by. DoorDash, you see the promo code there at the bottom of your screen. Game day 25 gets you 25% off and free delivery on your first order. All your favorites and more delivered right to your door by DoorDash. Thanks, Boomer. Thank you, man. All right, Matt, it's time for our daily face-off inbox question of the day. And as the Preds and Sharks drop the puck in Prague, my question to you, if you could go to or put a global series game anywhere on planet Earth, where would it be? Oh, I'm going to put it in Tokyo, Japan, purely selfish reasons. It's on my bucket list. It's the number one city I want to visit. And I've heard amazing things just about the experience of sports in Japan, whether it's going to a baseball game, whether it's pro wrestling, whatever it may be, MMA. I hear it's just electric. So I want to see, even though, of course, it's not really a hockey nation compared to some of the other options, I think they will find a way there to make the atmosphere amazing. 
Yeah, interestingly enough, uh, the NHL has uh, been to Japan before. So uh, be curious to see them go back there. I think it was the year 2000 that they last went. Uh, for me, it's not exactly global. It's much closer to home, but I'd like to see regular season games played in Mexico City. And the reason I say that is there was an interesting story, I don't know, maybe six months ago. I think it was actually in the hockey news about the growth and explosion of uh, the game in Mexico City, specifically with a lot of expats that have made their way there in the business community and some rinks that are popping up. So hockey's becoming a little bit more popular. The LA Kings are the most popular team. It's an enormous population size. I think it's like 13 million people that live in Mexico City. So I don't know. I'd like to see the NHL try and expand its footprint there a lot closer to home uh, than going overseas. So uh, be fun to take a trip there as well. So uh, definitely something to consider as the NHL continues its global series. The international stuff's only going to get bigger and bigger, Matt, especially with the 2024 World Cup of Hockey soon to be on tap. Let's bring in Tyler Remchuk for our daily face-off, daily bet segment. We've all got our eye on postseason baseball today. Both of you guys are Jays backers. I like the Phils. Matt was chirping me beforehand saying, you know, the, the Jays are, are going to have a deeper playoff run than the Phils. I don't know. I think they both win these series. What say you, Tyler? Yeah, I'm with you 100%, Frank. I got my Jays hat on, but don't worry. I'm keeping the Phillies hat nice Ooh. and close because I think Phillies at minus 105 on the money line is a great bet. Our friends at Points Bay Canada, they also have the Jays at minus 125. I'm hammering both of these today along with the pitcher strikeout props tonight as well. Wheeler and Manoa, I think there's a ton of value in both those guys. They're big game pitchers, and these are certainly big games. So, uh, yeah, I'm fired up for postseason baseball. But don't worry, I do have some hockey bets. Adding to my long list of NHL futures bets, we're talking about a guy that, Frank, you made a bold prediction about. And Matt, you got, you brought him up earlier in the show as well. I'm looking at Jack Hughes to go over 72 and a half points. I love Frank's prediction that this guy could hit triple digits this season. Because when you look at his numbers from last year, all he had to do was stay healthy. And, I mean, he could have gotten there. So I love the progression he's kind of taken, the big step forward last year. And there's always risk when you bet player future props at the start of the year that, you know, they could get hurt. They could miss 15, 20, even more games. I got burned last year because Nathan McKinnon just missed a few too many games to get over 90 and a half points. But still, I think this line is set so low on Jack Hughes that even if he were to miss like 10, even 15 games, I think there's a chance he hits this anyway. So it's a risk I'm totally willing to take. You can find Jack Hughes around again, 72 and a half points. And I am hammering the over on this one, Frank. I like it. Uh, I also gave in our dailyfaceoff.com bold predictions article, Tyler, my stone cold mortal lock team over under on points bet. It was the St. Louis Blues over 95. Like they were a 109 point team last year. I think they're the same exact team and just as competitive in the central. At the very least, I don't see a 14 point drop off coming. Do you guys? That's a nice tie into garbage time, I think, Frank. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's exactly why I went there. So, 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 Matt, uh, Matt, what are you feeling on garbage time? What's caught your eye from the St. Louis Blues? Yeah, so of course, 109 points, but people have to remember you could miss the playoffs with 99 points. It doesn't take that big of a fall to be out of the playoffs. I have the St. Louis Blues out of the playoffs. If you look at them last year, they were one of the weakest defensive teams in the league. They were the weakest defensive team in the playoffs. A couple quick numbers for you five on five. Per 60 minutes, 23rd in shots allowed, 29th expected goals against, 27th scoring chances against, 25th high major chances against, and they were buoyed by the play of Vili Husso in net. 
He is no longer there. They are relying on Jordan Pennington, who has not really been himself, arguably since the cup run in 2019. The other bread and butter that kept the Blues afloat last year was their power play. The best power play player in the NHL in the last three years, other than McDavid and Dreisaitl, was David Perron, who now plays for the Detroit Red Wings. The Blues did very little to improve their overall team defense. The blue line, the decor looks very similar, and they have lost the things that masked their deficiencies last year. So I'm picking the Blues to go bust in 2022-23. Well, so a lot of the stats and, and uh, direction that you gave, almost if you didn't tell me the team beforehand, I would have thought and, and mentioned the players that you were talking about the New York Rangers because they're another team, 110 points last year. Their over-under total on points bet is 99. So when you think about it, you know the difference between the Blues and the Bruins in this case, or Blues and, and Rangers in this case, is that they've got the reigning Vezina Trophy winner, Igor Shesterkin, in net where they could very much get back to that despite what the underlying numbers say. You're kind of making me a little bit nervous about the St. Louis Blues. Yeah, I think you're bang on. When it comes to teams that have bad numbers under the hood, goaltending is always the great equalizer. That's why the Rangers were able to outperform those metrics. And I also think the Rangers, they just have such high-end all-world talent, whether it's Artemi Panarin, Mika Zibanejad, Adam Fox, guys like that. That will also help you perform or overperform your metrics because you have finishing ability and you can have a good shooting percentage even if you aren't driving the play. So I do think the Rangers are better equipped to overcome those deficiencies than the Blues. Jordan Bennington, no pressure. We'll see. Uh, so much to get to. Can't wait for regular season puck next week. Thanks a lot for joining us today. That'll do it for this edition of Daily Faceoff Live. Thanks to Matt Larkin. Thanks to Dean Boomer Molberg, our head of production, Alex Allard, and Brendan Bradley on graphics. Great week of Daily Faceoff Live shows. We'll be back for you Monday, 12 noon Eastern. You know where to find us Twitter, YouTube, and please hit subscribe and like. Thanks a lot. Have a good weekend, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Daily Face Off Live. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to never miss an episode.